we made it down through, uh, I think it was down through about verse number uh, 9, is that correct, where we did the new song? I think we were going to deal with the new song tonight. And so uh, we'll pick up there and we'll spend just a few moments on this. Uh, just a couple of interesting things about this. Um, we'll begin reading here. We have just, uh, if just to refresh our memory from last week, the uh, book was seen. John was caught up and he was in heaven and he sees, uh, he makes the description of the throne in verse number or chapter number 4. We get to chapter 5 and he sees the book being held, the seven-sealed book in the right hand of uh, God and um, that they were looking through heaven to see who was worthy. And one of the elders said, who is worthy to open the book? And, um, and no one was found worthy until the Lord Jesus Christ uh, stepped forward, and he was one that was worthy. And we spent a little bit of time on that. And uh, we ended there, and just as we were getting into uh, verse number 9, and the Bible says in verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, uh, heard I saying, Blessed, blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and upon the, uh, unto the Lamb forever and ever. And, thou, and the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth uh, forever and ever." Uh, we find this new song, which is described here, very similar to the song that we read about earlier in the book of Revelation, uh, that was sung about the worthiness uh, of God as He uh, was observed on the throne. <coughs> but this time, <coughs> excuse me, instead of saying, Thou art worthy in the first person, it speaks of the fact, in a third person, uh, about um, He is worthy uh, about it. And... Um, Worthy is the Lamb is the way it's worded in verse number 12. But I want you to notice this interesting thing. In verse 12 it says, saying with a loud voice. Uh, it's a new song, that's what the Bible calls it, but they are not singing it. They are saying it. And that is an interesting concept. I, as I was studying and thinking about this, somebody pointed out the difference there, and then they didn't, they didn't say what their thought was about why uh, that was the case. They just pointed out this is a unique thing, that there's a new song spoken of here, and yet uh, you find that it is spoken, not sung. And uh, I began to, to ponder that for a little bit and wonder on it. And uh, we, I read one commentator about it, trying to find out what his thought was. And he, his thought was, uh, he had said that throughout Scripture, you don't ever find the angels singing. You'll always find them speaking. And uh, there is one reference in the book of Job that refers to the stars singing. And some people believe that perhaps uh, they were the angels. Um, although it is interesting to note, uh, Brother Tully's thought on that was uh, that the planets and the stars themselves do make uh, musical intonations that uh, can be recorded and be picked up. And he believes that it's a literal sense that the stars were singing. 
that is referenced in the book of Job. Uh, but suffice to say that even if those, that reference is referring to the angels in Job, that it was referring to a time prior to the fall of man, that you don't find the angels singing since the fall of man. Uh, I wonder, and I pondered that thought as I read that man's uh, thought on it, I wonder if uh, once the uh, full redemption story has played out and the tribulation is over, I wonder if the singing of the angels will be, once again, something that is done in heaven. Uh, I don't know that. It's just an interesting thought, uh, something to kind of ponder and think about. But it is interesting that the Bible says that it's a new song, and yet it says that they were saying it. Uh, they were speaking it. And then even in verse 13, when it talks about every creature that was in heaven and in earth <coughs> and under the earth, once again, even they, it says in the end of that verse, uh, he said, I heard saying, uh, again, not singing, but saying. Um, and I gave a little more thought to that. And I thought, well, these aren't speaking just then of angels. And here was a second thought that I had. And again, this is just a thought. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when we drop the instruments, that we understand the words of what we're singing better? And then I thought, have you ever taken the time to read without singing? Our hymns. How much more the meaning of those words seem to reach our hearts. Sometimes we get in the habit of singing and we're so used to the tune and the melody that we forget what the message of it is. Do, do something this week and just, just see about this. Take, take you a, a picture with your, with your camera or don't take the, the hymn books home with you unless you have one. Or look one up online and look up some of the hymn lyrics and just read them out loud. Don't sing it, just read it. And see what a difference it makes in hearing the message of those songs. And I wonder if perhaps uh, maybe it has something to do along that line uh, as well. But it is an interesting note about the new song. And uh, the, the interesting thing is the content of the song, speaking of His honor and His glory, His strength, uh, <coughs> excuse me, His glory and His power. I, I want to mention this thing just in passing. As I was studying uh, earlier this week, I got to the portion that spoke of His glory. And uh, I thought, you know, our purpose in life is to bring glory to God. Our life, the purpose of it ought to be to bring glory to God, to point men to God. In the Sermon on the Mount, at the uh, point of the similitudes, uh, Jesus makes the statement that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And the whole purpose of our life is so that we can glorify Him. And I, gave this, I got this thought that the church, the church is also to glorify God. That's one of our purposes as a church. To lift Him up and point men to Christ. And then I got to thinking about how oftentimes when we talk to people about the church that we go to. I was listening to a preacher just this week. And he was talking about, you ought to be proud that you're a member of this church. And when you talk to people, you ought to be excited about it and talk to them about how great the church is. And, how... and I thought, that's the wrong idea. We're not here to glorify the church. The church is here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we need to be careful even when we invite people to church. Our tendency, our human effort is, let's tell them all the virtues of Keith the Heights Baptist Church. They've got a great, good-looking pastor, skinny, athletic, full of hair, you know, a lot of, full of head of hair, you know. And, uh, 
you know, and, and the, the, the personality of the church and the friendliness. Can I tell you, all that is pointing people to the, the church when it really ought to be pointing them to God. Why not, when we talk to people about our church, talk about the things God is doing in our church? Oh, God is moving. God has done this. God has done that. He, he's worked in my life. You should, you, it's amazing how much God has caused me to grow and point people to Him because really all of the glory, whether it be from our life or from our church, ought to be pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I was a little convicted because I, I've been guilty of saying, boy, come, our church is friendly. You'll never find a church that loves you and loves people more. What we really ought to do is be pointing people to Christ through our church. And so uh, I, I just want to challenge us in that. I, it's something that maybe the Lord has dealt with my heart on this week a little bit, and certainly has, and uh, something of consideration. Because He is worthy. He is worthy. And uh, we, we uh, <laughs> even in our best efforts, when we think we're doing something good for the Lord, oftentimes, while we may have a sincere desire, we're doing the wrong thing doing it. And uh, perhaps that's something we need to re rethink of. All right, that brings us to chapter number 6. We're going to uh, get into these seven seals that are spoken of on the book. And uh, there are three sets three series, if you will, of judgments that are given in Revelation primarily. The first series of judgments is called the seven seals. That's what we're going to be studying now, the seven seal book. As each seal is broken, God pours out a judgment on the earth. And uh, the seventh seal is the beginning of the next series, actually. And the next series actually all fits into that seventh seal. Uh, and that is the uh, seven uh, trumpets uh, that will be uh, blown, and each trumpet that sounds will be a judgment on the earth. And then the final series of judgments are the vile judgments, and that's V-I-A-L, like a bowl or a vase or a cup, a vial, not V-I-L-E, like, you know, you understand the difference there between the two words. Uh, the vile judgments is what's being spoken of here. And so we have three series of, of judgments that are given uh, throughout uh, the time of Revelation. And these take place over the course from chapter 6 through uh, really the end of chapter 18 or so in, going into 19 deals with this, this great tribulation period uh, that takes place. And so I want us to look at these things. We're going to begin uh, and we'll just read one set of verses at a time as we go through these uh, and the Lord willing, we'll get through uh, all seven of them tonight. And uh, verse number six, uh, chapter number six, verse number one. And I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, <coughs> one of the four beasts, saying, "Come and see." Now these beasts that's spoken of here is the uh, the four-headed beast that we spoke of, the four-faced beast that we spoke of uh, earlier, uh, the one that had the face of the lion, the one that had the face uh, of a calf, the one that had the face of a man, and the one that had the face of an eagle. And so the four-faced beasts, or the four beasts uh, that were there around the throne, surrounding the throne. And uh, it says here that, that, that one of their voices, which was a voice that uh, John said sounded like thunder, as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. 
And one of the things I want us to, to keep in mind, and, and I should have said this before we started verse 1, when we study uh, prophecy, our purpose, our purpose is to uh, take great comfort in the fact that we are not going to be here. But secondly, to motivate and to perhaps bring conviction to us uh, about the diligence and the zeal with, uh, that we're serving the Lord with, that we're reaching people with the gospel with. And so I want you to keep in mind the magnitude uh, of, of these judgments. Um, how many of you have read through the book of Revelation in its entirety at least one time? Can I see your hands? All right, how many of you have read in your lifetime, have read through it in its entirety more than five? Okay, how about more than ten? Anybody that far? Okay, all right. And one of the things that is, if we're not careful, that will happen is we've read it before and we know what's coming and what's expected and it doesn't bear the weight on us that it should. And so I want us tonight, if you will, I don't, I don't care how many times you've read through Scripture, I want you to take each of these, of these judgments and think about the magnitude of them. Beginning in this first one, we find the beast speaking, and John refers to him as uh, having a voice uh, like thunder. Uh, th- th- can you imagine that the power emanating from the beast, we don't know exactly which one it is, uh, it more than likely is the first beast because there is a reference uh, later on to the second beast. So more than likely it was the first one mentioned. We don't know that for certain. Uh, but isn't it interesting that this isn't even God. This is just one of the beasts around him. And the might and the power of this thing uh, that God has given to him. And he speaks, and it's as it were uh, a voice of thunder. Notice what he says to John. He says, come and see. Now, this is not a request to John. Uh, put yourself in John's shoes for a minute. If you're, first of all, even just seeing what you're seeing it would be enough to cause us probably to faint with, with the, 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 the sheer uh, reverence to it, the, the fear of God that would be in your heart at that moment, the feeling of undoneness in the presence of holiness, and then to hear this voice bellow out, Come and see. <laughs> and it wasn't a request. And he tells John to come over and he wants him to see what happens as the first judgment begins. And verse number 2 it says, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, I want to mention a few things about this. Sometimes people read this particular passage, and they think that this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, but in actuality it's referring to the Antichrist. And I think one of the great uh, reasons that he is on the white horse is because he's going to come and in every appearance to the people on the earth is going to look like the coming Messiah, the promised Messiah. So much so that the nation of Israel is going to follow him as the Messiah. And so he's coming in a way that when he appears, they are going to think that he is the Messiah, the promised one. And so he comes with a bow. There's no arrow, but just a bow in his hand. And it says that he's coming to conquer, a conquering and to conquer. But he does not do it with violence. He does not do it with war, but actually uh, promises peace. And we'll see that a little bit later as we deal a little bit more with 
uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet in that area. But he comes with the promise of peace. And that's seen here as this rider on the horse, even though he has a bow which shows strength, he does not come uh, to create war. His strength, his influence wins over the people and he conquers the world without violence and without war. They give to him freely their allegiance. Um, as we, one of the reasons that we know that this is certainly not referring to the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, when we find Christ coming, we find him coming on a white horse, but he doesn't come with a bow, he comes with a sword. And it's not in his hand, it's in his mouth. And so there's a big difference here between this one and the one that is referred to when the Lord comes back for His second coming and uh, defeats uh, the Antichrist and uh, all of the uh, folks that have been gathered together there at the Battle of Armageddon. He defeats them with the word of His mouth. And so um, don't get confused by that. Make sure that we understand. And this first one comes uh, conquering. So He brings the world into subjection. He brings them all under one leadership and uh, we certainly know that, uh, and we'll deal further about these things later, because uh, Revelation is real good about moving forward and then kind of going back and giving more detail. Um, we're going to learn a little bit more about this, but you're going to have um, the world uh, believing that he's coming to bring peace. And for three and a half years, they're going to believe that he's bringing peace. In actuality, uh, he's getting ready to bring destruction upon them. And he commits in the middle of the tribulation period what the Bible refers to as the abomination of desolation, where he goes into the temple and defiles the temple uh, by making a pagan sacrifice. And so, uh, very, very important that we understand that even though he comes with peace, his intent is destruction and, uh, and to be able to have this conquering and to conquer uh, be a part of what he's all about. And then the second seal. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast saying, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him, <coughs> excuse me, that sat, uh, that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So now we have... Uh, a, a significant difference here. He's on a red horse, uh, meaning I believe that there's going to be a lot of bloodshed under this particular uh, judgment. And he's taking the peace away from the earth. Um, this writer is depicting uh, the wars that are going to come. I don't know exactly what the time frame will be as far as number of days into the tribulation period where this will happen, but I do know this that once the rapture takes place, there is a brief period of time. I personally think it to be 30 days or less. I, there are some reasons for that. Uh, there is a reference in the book of Daniel to a particular number of days and another uh, one in Revelation that's another reference to that same amount of days. And there is a 30-day discrepancy between the two in our Scriptures. One of them is referring, referring to um, the, uh, uh, this uh, Antichrist coming into power the other one referring to the time uh, that the uh, uh, rapture would be taking place. And so I believe there's a 30-day period there uh, that uh, is going to be, or, or some small amount of time at least, before the, the Antichrist rises into full power. Now, I could give you a lot of 
things to think about. These are not Bible, but I want to give you a couple of them. The, when the rapture takes place, a large number of people are going to be leaving. And they're going to leave instantaneously and without a trace. Other than there's going to be some graves that are opened up. And there is going to be worldwide panic. Uh, think about this. Hollywood in our lifetime. Uh, I did some research uh, uh, about a couple, it's been about three or four years ago now. When Hollywood began, it actually began with a bunch of Christian people. If you take and research it, uh, the, the film industry that began out there in Hollywood, California, in that area, there was not a single production company that was not led by Christian folks. And the intent early on was to give wholesome entertainment and to do Bible-based or Scripture-based. Uh, it was a good way, a good means to propagate the gospel and Christianity. And in just a, a brief, short lifetime of about 60 years, it is so corrupted and vile at this point that the last Christian-owned production company out there uh, sold itself and sold it to another uh, place in the mid-80s. And so we no longer have any Christian production companies out there uh, of any major difference doing anything major. And I think there's a reason to that. Because if you look at some of the things that have been coming out of Hollywood, and I don't watch these movies, but time from time to time you'll see billboards and you'll see things on the, uh, these previews uh, of different things that are coming up. <coughs> and you'll find that they are uh, very easily showing uh, things about the Revelation. How is the, how is the Antichrist going to explain graves being opened up? Have we seen a lot of movies recently or shows about zombies and vampires and things like this? The undead, those that were dead, and, but yet they're living. And, you know, I, I, you say, is that for sure what, what that's all about? I certainly think Satan is using it to desensitize people to it. Uh, the rapture taking place. How many, how many sci-fi movies do we see of abductions? Uh, UFO abductions or going into different dimensions. It's almost everywhere you look today. Uh, I was talking with my uncle a while back, and I said, you know, um, he was asking me about UFOs. He said, do you think there's anything to that? I said, yes, I do. I think there is something to that. I think people are seeing something. I don't think they're from out of this world. I think they're from right here. But Satan is an angel of light. And the Antichrist is going to have to have some way to unite the world. And I'll tell you my, my theory of Gregology for a minute on this about the rapture. When the rapture takes place, graves are going to be open. A lot of people are going to be gone. People are going to be in a panic. And the world powers are all going to come together and say, did you do it? No, we didn't do it. Did you do it? No, you didn't do it. And somebody's going to rise up and say, listen, whatever happened is going to happen again, and we need to all be ready for it. So we need to quit being all these different countries, and let's all come together and be one country, or one, one world, and let's be prepared for this next time that something's going to happen. And they spend seven years preparing for it. You say, why do you think that? Because at the end, he's going to bring all the armies of the world together in one place to do battle. You say, well, what's he going to be doing battle against? Some people may understand that it's against God. But I believe with the strong deceit that Satan's going to send, he's going to have some excuse, such as 
uh, an alien invasion or something along those lines that's going to unite the world and cause them to say, we need to all come together on this. Now, you say, Brother Gray, that's really far-fetched. Not so much. We used to think, how in the world would they ever get people to all unite, an entire world to unite, to decide we're going to take a mark in order to be able to buy or sell or travel? And yet, we are this far away from it now with the small little virus that took place. We read Revelation as if it's some sci-fi type book. It's literal. These things actually happen. Real things that are involved in our world are going to take place in this book of Revelation. And uh, it does us well to understand this, that while uh, the Antichrist comes on the scene, and for a period there's an indication of we're all going to be peaceful, we're all going to do some things, there comes a point on this second seal where the peace is taken from the world and war ensues and battles begin to ensue. And notice what he says here in verse number 4. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill, notice this, one another. Not just countries at war, but killing just at random in the streets. The peace taken from them. By the way, you say, well, that could never happen. Uh, What about uh, defund the police movement? What about the increase in crime we've seen in a year and a half? The exponential increase in crime. Don't tell me that God can't take the peace from this world and people begin to turn on each other and for no reason or for very little reason kill each other. They certainly can do this. And folks, we are that close to it. Uh, It should not shock us when we see the things happening. We should not be worried about them when we see them happening because we know they've got to come in line and be in place in order for all of this to transpire. But we should be concerned about it because time is short. Those that are going to be saved need to be saved now. I don't want my loved ones, I don't want friends, I don't want acquaintances to go through these things. I want them to be sure that they're saved and on their way to heaven. And so I want us to understand the magnitude of what's taking place here. These aren't just small skirmishes. These aren't just riots in California or in Michigan or wherever the riots are taking place at. We're talking about in every neighborhood these things would be going on. So he takes peace out of the, out of, uh, the, uh, uh, the world, and people begin to have war. <clears throat> and uh, it's interesting to me how oftentimes politicians will promise one thing, and then even though they see that uh, what they've done is going the wrong direction, they still keep going that way, thinking, oh, it'll finally get better. <laughs> and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And while he may promise peace, the war is coming. The violence is coming. There's four things that we know about this second seal. Number one is there was at least some sort of peace and tranquility prior to his coming. To what level and what degree, we don't know for sure. But I do believe that when a uniting takes place of the entire world under the leadership of the Antichrist, that for a season, for a short period of time, there will be unified peace. You remember back when, and I hate to use an illustration like this, but you remember back when 9-11 happened and Republicans and Democrats arm in arm stood on the Capitol steps and sang, God bless America. And now here we are just a few years later. You couldn't get two, two Democrat, a Democrat and a Republican to join arm in arm for anything unless they were wrestling. Because for a period of time there was peace. 
but then came the wars, and then came the, the fighting. Peace and tranquility existed before the arrival of this, this next um, uh, uh, judgment. <coughs> the kind of violence that is brought here is not just nation between nation, but one between another. <coughs> a lot of civil unrest, uh, probably along the lines of, uh, I would think along the lines of uh, race or gender. Those seem to be the hot topics that cause people to get angry enough at each other uh, to literally be willing to kill about it. Um, what used to be peace and tranquility uh, is now a lot of confusion and a lot of bloodshed. And it's not just the United States of America. It's all through the world, this entirety uh, of this judgment. The great sword that was given to this, uh, this writer uh, is the idea of the uh, slaughter that's going to be taking place. Uh, there's going to be a lot of death during this time. And um, you're going to hear over the next few weeks as we get into these judgments, large volumes of people will be killed. Some of them for the cause of Christ. But many and most of them lost. That's going to be important. Because there's going to come a time here, and we're going to see it, I believe, in... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, it'll be in the fourth seal. We'll talk about it here in just a minute then. Let's look in verse number 5 at the third seal. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And once again, <laughs> people say, Peace, peace, and there's no peace. You cry out for it, they can't get it. War and pestilence is coming. And then comes uh, famine. Then comes this, uh, this lack of food. And, uh, of course, any time you have major destruction and war going on and violence going on, um, you look at the, even just the, the riots that we had uh, back under uh, President Trump that were, that were taking place out uh, in other states, and, and some of them even up here in St. Louis, the neighborhoods who they were rioting and they were looting and stealing in the stores. And I want us to understand that this will become the typical thing in the world, not just isolated to the big cities and the inner cities, not just isolated to the, the cities that have gang problems and, and diff, difficult uh, 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 neighborhoods, but we're talking about uh, everywhere that you look, this will be going on. There will be famine. So much so that people, uh, the Bible says here, will not be able to, to hardly even afford a, a measure of meal to make a loaf of bread. And John refers to here a penny. Uh, of course, you're using the measure that they were using at that time. And a penny was a day's labor. If you remember the story of Jesus speaking to, uh, going out at the parable he told of hiring a servant and paying him uh, a penny for a day's wage. And the idea was that the penny in that day and age was an entire day just to earn one loaf of bread. Uh, there'll be those times that um, they won't be able to afford the food. And so what are they going to do? What would you do? You're going to go everywhere you can to try to find it, especially if you have a family. And then if the peace is taken from the world and violence is not an issue, people are going to resort to the violence to do this. 
And uh, so again, we find the third seal dealing with uh, famine. But he says, don't hurt. Uh, he says, uh, see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. I read one fellow speaking on this, and he said that he believed that this was in reference to things that would be used uh, for medicinal things to help heal and to help uh, bind up wounds and things. So those things would still probably be in existence at this point. Uh, again, that's just a commentator's view on that. Uh, to be honest with you, I would not have an opinion on what the oil and the wine would represent other than the oil and the wine. And what the purpose of that is, I don't know yet. Uh, I think when, uh, when we get to heaven and we see all these things, we'll understand a little clearer on those things. The fourth seal, uh, when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast saying, Come and see. And I looked and beheld, behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. This is the only one that actually is named. It's in reference, I believe, to uh, Revelation chapter 20. It speaks of the fact that death and hell uh, were cast into the lake of fire and referred to the second death. And isn't it interesting that the name of this one is named Death and Hell? And uh, death and hell, or, uh, uh, on the pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed after him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with beast of the earth. Uh, now, follow with me for a minute. The last, last figure I heard uh, recently in the last few months was that we have now 7.8 billion people in the world. Does anybody know if it's gone up since I mean, I'm sure it's gone up since then, but anybody have a little closer figure than that? I think 7.8 was the last figure I heard. Okay. Do your quick math on that. How much would it, let's, let's round it to 8 billion just to do the easy math. How much would a quarter, 25% of that be? A fourth? We're talking 2 billion with a B people. These are not ones that are being martyred for the cause of Christ. These are ones that are being killed by four things. <clears throat> We find in verse number 8 that the fourth part of the earth uh, was given over them, uh, over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword first. The wars, the battles, the civil unrest is still going on at this point. With hunger, so the, the, the judgment of the third seal is still going on at this point. These are not consecutive, these are cumulative. And so understand that those first two, uh, the, the second third seals that we've spoken of are still going on. And the third one is added to it. Just about the time, if you can put yourself in the shoes of someone in this situation at that point in time, just about the time where you think, uh, boy, I can't take any more, here comes another one. And now not only are they killed with the sword and killed with hunger, but notice it says this, and with death, that was that would be referring to diseases and sicknesses, and then uh, with the beast of the earth. Uh, there's famine all through the earth. Hunger's going on. Unsanitary conditions. Uh, people are struggling with diseases because of the malnutrition, because of perhaps the results of some of the tactics of the war. I don't know if chemical warfare goes into it or nuclear warfare goes into it uh, specifically, uh, but we certainly know that those things are options that certainly could happen. And this, this death, this disease that takes place. Well, then the wild beasts... They don't have any food, but there's two billion bodies of people laying around. 
And there are another six billion people uh, walking around the earth. And there's going to be many of them that are going to be killed by those beasts. And so again, I want you to understand the magnitude of the judgments. These are not small things. These are not regional. They're not temporary. They're cumulative. And once one begins, they're continuous. And these folks are still going through these things during this period of time. The possibility of a soul going to hell really ought to be all the motivation we need to share the gospel. But if it's not, taking time to read the judgment of God on a wicked, sinful man who has rejected Him ought to be enough. When we read prophecy, it's not just so we can sit back and say, boy, I sure love reading prophecy and getting to know these things. It does bring a level of comfort to the, to the Christian. I understand that. But, oh, it ought to bring conviction too. It ought to stir our hearts. That brings us to the fifth seal. And when he had opened the fifth seal... Bear with me, we only have two more to go here because we're going to wait on the seventh seal because that's the beginning of the trumpet judgments. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwelt on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. These are judgments that are given uh, where the martyrs are crying out to God, Lord, how long is it going to be before our blood is avenged? These are folks that have been slain Notice in verse 9, for the Word of God and for the testimony which they held. I, I hope, I don't, I don't like to think of this, I hope that we do not have to experience martyrdom before the rapture. I, I know that there is some of it going on in the world today. It has not happened here in the United States of America, at least not openly and not, not uh, condoned by the government. I'm sure there are isolated incidents of groups of people that have done so illegally here even in the United States. And look with me. Hold your place here for a minute. And let's look in the book of Hebrews. Let's see if I can find it here. I wasn't going to bring this passage, but I do want to bring this up here. Let's look in chapter number 12. Once, once the writer of Hebrews gives a list of those that have been martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 33, uh, verses 32 and down in chapter 11, those that were martyred for the cause of Christ. He then says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us, and let us... Run with patience the race that is set before us. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be characterized as that? Looking unto Jesus, the author 
and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the context here of running the race with patience, there's going to be opposition in the way, there's going to be persecution in the way, it's going to require patience. And the only way we're going to have the kind of patience we need is by looking to Jesus. And not just looking to Him, generally speaking, but looking at His example. What was His example? His example was, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Knowing what was to come, He was willing to lay His life down on the cross. For consider Him, verse number 3, that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds, ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. The writer of Hebrews was speaking to some of those that were reading this book at that time. He said, you've not had to, you've not had to shed your blood for that, for your testimony and for the cause of Christ. We here in America have been given wonderful, the wonderful gift of religious liberty, religious freedom for a few hundred years. We've not had to resist. It has caused us, I believe, to become very apathetic in our faith. It's caused us to lose our zeal and our passion for the lost. We don't really recognize the full impact of standing for our faith to the point of our life being the cost. And here these folks are, in the fifth seal, asking God, how long? These are not the martyrs, I don't believe, at least not all of them, that were martyred down through history, but I believe these are the ones that are martyred during the tribulation period. Uh, Look in Revelation chapter 20 for a moment. And uh, let's look in verse number 4. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 4. I believe that they get their answer here in chapter 20 and verse 4. They ask the Lord how long till we're avenged. And in verse number 4 it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the Word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Here are the martyrs from the tribulation period. These are the ones that kept themselves from the mark of the beast. These are the ones that kept themselves from taking His image or worshiping His image. And uh, the Bible says here that they were beheaded. That's going to become the mode of execution during the tribulation period. I cannot prove this. And after saying this, if it gets out on the Internet, we may get banned from streaming. I don't know. But there is a religious sect in the world today that is notorious for, for execution by beheading. They are the fastest growing religion in the world today. The second fastest growing is nowhere near them. And that would be the Muslims. 
You say, is every Muslim evil? No. That religion is. And they're following an evil religion. And there are many of them that are. I cannot prove this from Scripture. But once again, we see things lining up, do we not? Just the, 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 the pieces of the puzzle are dropping into place. I was uh, over at uh, the Pettibones the other day, and Miss Kathy had a, a puzzle laying out on her table. It was a thousand-piecer. You ever try a thousand-piecer? These things are little. Man, uh, for five days, it takes you just to do the outer rim, it seems like. Maybe I, a long time. And then you get little pieces here and there. But, you know, the closer you get to all of it being done and the final piece being in place, you ever notice this? The faster it is. And the quicker those pieces begin to drop into place until finally you're down to the last three or four and it's just boom, 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 and it's done. Can I tell you that the pieces of prophecy have taken 2,000 years plus. They've been slowly dropping into place. But what's amazing to me is in my lifetime, and some of you in your lifetime, to see how rapidly it seems to be these final pieces are dropping into place. And when the picture's done, it's time. The sixth seal, verse number 12, and we'll be done. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man. I want you to notice this. And again, think of the magnitude of this. It didn't matter what they were. There was no respecter of persons in this. Every one of them hid themselves in dens and in rocks of the mountains and said to the rocks and mountains, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Wow. By the way, you can take and read through Matthew chapter 24 and you will find a lot of parallels between those and the first seven seals. We get to this sixth seal, and the Bible speaks of the fact that the sun becomes black, it's darkened, some type of a, uh, some type of a um, eclipse, but not just localized. It refers here to the sun, the moon being red. I don't know if you've ever seen the moon when it's eclipsed. Uh, by the earth, and the sun is still shining, it gets that reddish glow to it. There's something in the sky that is blocking the sun and blocking the moon. I think we find it when it says in verse 13, "...and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree cast her through untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind." So we find certainly uh, uh, meteorites, perhaps even asteroids, larger ones, falling to the earth's surface. By the way, once again... The writers in Hollywood, they think they come up with these ideas. No, somebody's putting them in their head. 
I don't think it's because they've read Scripture. I think they're under an influence. They talk about these, these asteroids coming to earth. The Bible talks about it here. That's nothing that a movie has to tell us. The Bible tells us. And these things must be so thick because it talks about them falling as the untimely figs fall from a fig tree when it's shaken with a mighty wind. You ever, you ever had a fig tree or any kind of fruit-bearing tree that the fruit is ripe and maybe even rotten, ready to fall off, and then a big wind comes? I think of the fall and the leaves that we have. Our leaves get, get dead. They, they're so beautiful on the tree for a while, and they get dead, and they're just hanging there. And they're just waiting for the first fall wind to come along about 30 miles an hour. And I've seen an entire tree, an entire tree, come all the way down in one good storm. Hardly a, hardly a leaf left on it. Those leaves used to block the sun in coming in the front window of my living room. And now it pours right in in the afternoon. Why? Because there were enough leaves that were falling from that tree that it blocked the light. If these stars are falling like the untimely figs from a fig tree that's shaken with a mighty wind, there are plenty of them there to block the light from the sun and cause the moon to become red. And then I want you to notice this. The heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Every mountain and island removed out of their places. Mighty earthquakes taking place. The heavens, a scorching heat. I don't think they're, they're the, 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 the shade of clouds is even a, a thing at this time. There's a scorching heat, I believe, coming to the earth uh, because of this. The, the skies are rolled back. There's nothing to shield them. Uh, verse 15, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, every bond man, every free man, it didn't matter what they were, they hid themselves in the dens of the rocks. And this is the interesting thing to me about this. You would think, after six of these, that they would say, Lord, save us, we perish. But they don't, do they? There is an indignation and a defiance here. Look what it says in verse 16. These folks, every one of them, from the kings all the way down, it says, they said to the mountains and rocks, they're praying to the wrong person, aren't they? They're praying to the mountains and the rocks. They pray to the mountains and the rocks. They say, fall on us and hide us. And it's not like they don't know that God's there. Because they want, him, they want these mountains and rocks to hide them from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Don't tell me they don't know about the Lord Jesus Christ. They know very well. Yet they deny and refuse. They are willingly defiant. I'm going to give you one last verse and we'll, we'll, we'll pray and dismiss. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 34 for a minute. Just one verse and we'll be done. Isaiah chapter number 34. Let's look in verse number 4. Isaiah 34 and verse number 4. Oh, I'm sorry, Joel, I'm, I gave you the wrong verse. Joel 2 is the one I wanted. 
You can use Isaiah 4.34 as the fig tree thing. And, and look in verse number 4 for a minute if you're there. And all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth off from the vine, as a falling fig from a fig tree. So again, this is something that was prophesied all the way back in the time of Isaiah. And it's coming true. Right before eyes. Uh, the, the one I meant to give you is Joel. I'm sorry. I gave you the, I, I had it written here and gave you the wrong one. Uh, Joel chapter number 2, if you will. Joel chapter number 2. Joel's a very small book if you get to uh, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, that area. Okay. Joel chapter 2 and verse number 31. And this is, this is the one I want us to see. The sun shall be turned into darkness. Let's uh, back up to verse number uh, 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be what? Delivered. But what did these people do? They didn't call on the name of the Lord, did they? They called on the mountains and the rocks, and so they were not delivered. There will be some saved during the tribulation period. We'll talk about that when we get a little further into this. There's going to be at least 144,000 of them, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. But the Bible also says there will be multitudes saved from every nation. There's going to be a lot of people saved during the tribulation period. There's going to be an awful lot of them who defiantly depose God and say, we are, not going to, we are not going to bow. They're going to be angry. They're going to be bitter. He even tells in Joel that if they would call on His name, that they would, He would deliver them. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said in the remnant, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. That takes us through the six of the seven seals. The seventh seal begins the seven trumpets. There's going to be a space of a half an hour. We'll talk about that next week. In chapter number 7, there's a, a period of time where there's silence in heaven. Uh, I don't know that there's ever been silence in heaven, but there will be at that time uh, for the space of about a half hour. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. And uh, if you've not read through the book of Revelation, let me encourage you to do it. And you say, well, I can't understand everything. That's okay. I don't know that we will understand everything this side of heaven on all of it. But there's enough that we can understand that it's, it's going to be something that will bring us comfort, that we're not going to be here for it, but will also bring us conviction. And folks, let's, let's be diligent. We've got folks that need to hear. I don't want anybody that I know going through these things. I don't want them to do it. And so hopefully that will help. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, as we study these things, I pray that You give us clarity. Lord, may we deal with them in a very systematic way, a way that our, our understanding can uh, grasp a hold of it. But Father, more than us understanding it, I pray that it will work in our hearts. May it have its intended reaction in our lives, in our hearts, and do its work. So guide and direct us, and Father, as we study it, help us this week as we go through our days to be busy doing Your work, accomplishing what You would need done. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do have copies of these notes if you would like to have some. There are two pages to them, so when you get 